You're listening to a sermon from Metro North Church in Goose Creek, South Carolina. If you'd like to connect with us, then visit us online at metronorthchurch.com. We pray. Amen. Well, please be seated with your Bibles open. Every year, I don't know if you know this, the Oxford English Dictionary picks a word, a word of the year. They, they watch how we all use words. And back in 2016, it was interesting to me that they captured a word that captured the mood and the ethos of the international community, and it was a word that I don't know if many of you have even heard before. The international word of the year was this word, post-truth, post-truth. Let me define it for you. Post-truth is this, listen closely, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping political debate or public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. That was the word that they chose internationally to tell us where we're at. In other words, if you, if you want to have it simpler, we don't really want to know the facts anymore as a people. We want to know how you feel. We do not want to hear about objective facts. We want to hear more about feeling. Well, if that's true, why is it, why is it that the very next year, the Global Language Monitor, and that is an, a data device that sifts through all the chatter in print, internet, and social media and finds the most used word. In 2017, the most used word is the word truth. See, we say we want to live in a post-truth culture where my personal feelings and convictions are more important than objective facts, and yet we can't even go a year globally without the word truth popping up as the most used word everywhere. The title, if you're a guest today or if, you're one of, if you want to follow along in the message notes, is Don't Tweak the Truth. We tweak something by pinching it, by squeezing it, by modifying it, by reshaping it. We, as human beings, if we really want to live, have no right to tweak the truth. This is not how we are to love and live with our neighbor. Now, I know some of you are flat out exhausted and cynical from all the fake news, and there's a lot of it out there. There, there are politicians, there are pundits, there are a lot of pastors, guilty, who talk so much and you don't know what to believe. And I understand why we often want to rely on our personal feelings as our truest facts. But if you're an unbeliever here today and you are cynical and pessimistic about reality and truth, your pessimism is not dark enough. Because the Christian story will tell you all of us are sinners, and we are deceived, and you're not cynical enough on how bad it really is. But if you're a Christian and you go, no, wait a minute, I'm not cynical. I'm a little bit more positive. I don't think your optimism is bright enough. Jesus Christ has arrived. His arrival as the truth himself has brought a people who now can rely on the objective fact of his arrival and the objective fact that we can tell the truth. It's amazing. Are we optimistic enough? 
My burden today is that we would not be a people that would tweak the truth, but we would become a community of honesty. And I'm seeing it happen. Over my four years here from when I got here, I believe I'm becoming more honest. And all of you are helping me do that. And I think that most of you are becoming more honest. I have seen this happening. But most of us have a profound inability to be honest about what's really going on in our lives. And yet, most of, our finely t- most of you have your finest-tuned spiritual sense is you can sense when somebody's in- inauthentic. Can't you? Can't you smell out when somebody's sort of not truthful? So here's what we're going to do today as we look at this. We're going to ask ourselves, why do we lie? How do we lie? And help! Because you're going to feel pretty guilty if you're honest, but I promise you there is help. Number one, don't tweak the truth because you know why you lie. Exodus 20.16 says it this way. In, God's, uh, in, in, the, in, in a translation, translation that I like called the God's Word Translation, never lie when you testify about your neighbor. Take a few steps back with me and let's understand the legal context for the Israelites when they would have heard this come from God's mouth. Never testify, never lie when you testify. Notice the word testify. It means don't bear false witness in some of your translations. Bear, witness, testify. This is language where you would give evidence in court. Now how does a court determine if an accused person is actually a criminal? How does a society determine the facts when two people are fighting and they both think they're right? I used to manage for 20 years, and it was amazing often after I heard both people, it was always he said, she said. They both absolutely said, these are the facts and I'm right. How do you determine in, 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 in social relationships what to do? Well, Israel back then, they didn't have video cameras. They couldn't record things. Their forensic evidence was not very helpful, but they had humans who had words. All they had were words. Words of the witness. What did you see in the fight? What did you hear? What information about the situation will bring justice? There's no confidence in any court when you can't trust the words of the witness. The witness was the only one who could represent reality when there was that fight with their words. If words falsify reality, then the system of fairness is going to fail. You ever thought about what dignity God was giving the Israelites and all of you? What dignity to say that you are an image bearer of God and your words matter when there's a fight? What dignity? You are an image bearer of the living God. When you paint a picture of the past for all to believe, that's great dignity. I don't know about you, but my memory is slippery. Ask me about something that happened 10 years ago. I'll try to bring up the facts, but it often helps when there is a number of points of view. Deuteronomy 17.6, God said it this way. On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The points of view matter to God because they pin down the true view. 
to safeguard the sacredness of truth, two witnesses or even three would increase the probability of a person telling the truth. Have you ever gone to jury duty? Some of you have, or you get the notice and you wish you don't have to. A jury is selected to swear to determine the facts. What is perjury? Well, per is the Latin word away from. Perjury is when you're talking and the jury is listening and you talk away from the facts. You don't want to commit perjury because the jury depends on your declarations. They rely on your representation of reality. I'll never forget when I was subpoenaed as a nurse. It scared me. I thought, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Well, they said, you're going to go into a room and for hours you are going to have to tell your story. Have any of you ever been subpoenaed? Have any of you ever had to actually give legal testimony? For me, it was a code blue patient, and the doctor that was next to me resuscitated this man. He would die many hours later, but the wife was convinced that that doctor killed her husband. So here I was. I had documented the details. I saw firsthand what the doctor did, and I thought the man brought this patient back to life. But as I was sitting with the lawyers, I was so nervous. Three hours with a stenographer, words, words, words. She typed them all out. A multi-million dollar lawsuit and the doctor's futures would lie in the hands of my words. I couldn't give pretend words. I couldn't commit perjury. It would cause punishment. The words of Wendell Berry, a writer that I enjoy, says this, We are speaking where we stand and we shall stand afterward in the presence of what we said. And yet, even though I really believe I told the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, I lie. We lie. God wouldn't have made one of the big ten, don't bear false witness, never lie, if we don't do it in community. Why do we lie? You now understand the legal background, but let's go back to our ancient background and read again Genesis 3, verse 1, to find out why we lie. Genesis 3, 1, you remember this? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord the God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The first question ever spoken to our mother Eve was a lie from a forked tongue. What Satan was saying was, God's a spoil sport. He didn't care about you, Eve. He doesn't care about your joy. He's hoarding good. He's throwing you the scraps. But those of you that know the early writings in Genesis 2.16, it's an incredible verse. God actually said this. Of every tree you may freely eat. That was the truth. Of every tree you may freely eat. Satan, a fallen angel, hates the true God. He, hates, he hates, hates any reflection of the true God who would reveal the true God with true words. He hates the sons and daughters who bear the image of the true God, so he tempts us to bear false witness in community. Satan tweaks and twists the wide words of God, which was, you may freely eat from every tree. And he narrows it down to, did he say you shouldn't eat from any? Truth in the garden is the bounty of God. 
The lie is Eve fixate on the boundary. Let's look at what Eve would say now that the lie and the doubt was sown inside of her. It says here in Genesis 3-2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree. God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. It's hard to see this in the English. And part of going to seminary and learning Hebrew shows you something that maybe you all missed. Eve would lie three times in those words. How? She shaved the truth. Did you notice in verse 2, she said, we may eat of the fruit of the tree. That is not what God said. God said, you may eat freely. She took out the word freely. She shaved the truth. Secondly, she stretched the truth. She added words God never said, you may not touch it. And then she couldn't leave it without once again shaving the truth, not telling the whole truth because God said in Hebrew, if you ever eat of that tree, which means you don't trust me in my words, you will surely die. In the Hebrew it says, you will die, die. Here's what Eve said. God said we would die. That is not what God said. He said you would surely die. You ask yourself, why do I lie? Because you were born, you were born, remember, into this broken family. Eve did not eat the fruit because she knew it to be bad. She was deceived into thinking it was beautiful. She could be good and godlike without being in a trusting connection with God. Now, Genesis 3, verse 9 says this The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Why do we lie? Because we cover our shame. They hid in the trees to cover their guilt and shame. Why do we lie? Don't we lie because we fear the consequences of the truth? All of us are born with the poison of deception in our spiritual veins. And Jesus would say it this way in the book of John. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. And in the book of Proverbs, written to youth that had to learn to live wisely, God would say this. In Proverbs 6, 16, there's six things the Lord hates, even seven, that are an abomination. A false witness who breathes out lies. You've been lied to. Don't you hate it? I think some of my deepest anger has been when I've found I have found out that I have been lied to. Think back to the last time in a relationship, not one of these fake relationships, a real relationship. You've put time into that relationship. You've exposed yourself in that relationship. And in that relationship you were lied to. Don't don't tell don't cover the shock. And the spiritual vertigo that you experience thinking, I was in a connected relationship and I got words that I now know are false. The floor of security crumbles in that relationship. The relationship crashes and the revelation seeps into your consciousness. It's like you're free-falling with no bottom in sight. 
You know what I feel like when someone lies to me? And it's happened so often in life. I feel like right switches place with wrong. I don't even know how to relate to that person anymore. Will I ever even trust them again? Okay, so it helps to know why. But how do we lie? How do we lie? Don't tweak the truth, secondly, because you know how we lie. How do we lie? And by, I don't, I'm not talking about gestures. Some of you read books or you see little things on Netflix about, you know, I can figure out how someone lies. They won't look you in the eye. 20 years in the emergency department, I will tell you this. The best liars look you straight in the eye. No, I'm sorry, the scripture doesn't give us sociological information about how people lie. I'm talking about, don't look for the gestures. The scripture says this, verse 16 again, never lie when you testify about your neighbor. How becomes really clear when we remember who. How many of you grew up watching this man, Mr. Rogers? Thank you for being honest back there. He always encouraged us to care about the neighbor. The neighbor is anyone who's near to you. I wonder who I'm allowed to lie to, God. You are not supposed to bear false witness and tell any, any, any untruth about your neighbor. That's, how, that's all of us. That's anybody. How do we lie to our neighbor, to these average people we're always doing life with? How do we lie well, take a look at this image of a lie detector test. I think it's important that we learn how we typically lie. Two ways you can detect dishonesty, either in yourself or in somebody else. Think about Eve. I think we usually shrink the truth or we stretch the truth. You can detect dishonesty, first of all, by looking for shrinkage. God said, freely, eat. She took off the word freely. Why would she shrink the truth? You will surely die. It's not that bad. Do you shrink the truth? Leviticus 5 verse 1 is very convicting. Let me read it for you. The Lord continued, now if you're a witness under oath and won't tell what you saw or what you know, you're sinning. You'll be punished. You ever seen that before? It's the word of God. Shrinkage occurs when you leave something out of the story. I studied major research on women who lie. And men, I'll get to you in just a minute. Women frequently shrink the truth. So many studies say that women don't want to hurt your feelings. So they bite their tongue and they say less. They don't want to make you feel bad. How do you shrink the truth? Do you downplay the pain in a relationship? Oh, I'm not hurt by those words, by that email, by that text message, by you dropping the ball. I'm not hurt. We're fine. Did it hurt? Do any of you, like me, sometimes hide food? 
or the wrapper in the garbage. I don't want my wife to find out I had that. I doubt anybody does that but me. I'm sure none of you here shave the truth to create a false impression by sort of hiding the way you spend money. Relationships are based on trust, and trust is based on truth. Have you ever shaved the truth? It creates a false impression. If you tell a half-truth, the white lie, the fib, the oh-so-small omission. I like what Alfred Lord Tennyson said. A lie which is all a lie may be met and fought with outright, but a lie which is part of the truth is a harder matter to fight. Here's how I do it. I usually twist and spin the hard truth to the back. So only the easy stuff will be heard. Don't leave me hanging like, what a, you you should just walk out and, do you do do that? Do any of you do that? I don't know if it's from my nursing background. I don't know if it's just from hard things in life, sensitivity. But I have learned as your pastor, this is not good. God would say it this way. If you won't tell what you saw and what you know, you're sinning. I hurt for hurt people, and I feel like I can then spin a painful fact so you won't have to face the fact, but it's wrong. Shrinkage can also occur by gossip. I know most of you are going to start thinking about your neighbor, but let me define gossip for you because words matter. Gossip is a great word. In the 1300s, they put it together because God parents, God When a woman was going to have a baby, she'd call up the woman who was going to be the godparent, and she'd say, bring everybody around, I'm going to have a baby. They would come over, and mainly the women would sit there with their familiar friends, and what do you do when a woman's going to have a baby? God, the godparent is there, Sib, with all the siblings and all the familiar people, what do you do while that woman's going to have a, a baby? You pass the time by talking. But what would happen is that friends, mainly the females, would talk idly for hours about the affairs of others. I don't think Facebook is sinful. But in the 1300s, you didn't have that. I almost wonder if Facebook is often talking idly for hours about the affairs of others. Once again, don't mishear me. Social media is not wrong. But gossip goes back to this, and what would happen when you have many hours to spend your time talking is an abusive attack would often diminish the good name of a person in your community. Leviticus 19.16. Would you read this out loud with me so we're really clear about gossip? What's the first word? Let's read it together, and I'm going to own this with you. Never gossip. Never endanger your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. I said this is called life with a capital L because these laws, if we submit to them and let the Holy Spirit change us, will give us life. When you gossip about someone in community, it's a life or death issue. Whacking others with your words, it hurts and harms a person's life. Paradoxically, adding dirt to another defames them. It disgraces them. It diminishes their glory, their very life. 
You say, Howard, help me so I don't do this. Okay, I'm going to help you with people in authority in your life because they're easy to gossip about. You know, when you lift a line of a person's words or a little segment of their actions out of their proper context and connection and you shrink reality to fit a false story you're telling, this is not good. News reporters love to say, give me a line from a president or a leader. Give me a line of your words and I'll hang you by it. I'm trying to help us answer the question, how do we lie? We shrink the truth. We gossip. We shrink someone's very reputation. I'm telling you to start with leaders. If you fix on a phrase by a leader that rubs you wrong and pass the phrase to friends, you endanger the very life of that neighbor. If you emphasize the sentence that snagged you personally, but the speaker never stressed it, you kill the leader's trust or the friend's trust in the rest of the community. Will you be honest about your dishonesty? Do you raise your reputation by ruining somebody else's? You ask, wait a second, Howard, I got you. People lie in the Bible. They don't tell the truth. What about that, 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 that lady Rahab? What about those two women uh, in Exodus? They, they didn't tell, they were supposed to kill the babies and they didn't tell the whole truth about babies. Now let's take a deep breath here. You ask, what if an evil person demands to know the whole truth? The law about lying, don't forget, is in the context of the court of justice. Truth, justice for the neighbor. Read those stories about the midwives who were told to murder boys. They would not sacrifice babies on the altar of facts. Read the story about Rahab who hid the spies. She would not sabotage justice for the people of God. God does not say that evil men have the right to know the part of the truth that will harm others, but God does not tell them to lie. We are to tell the part of the truth that does no harm. Okay, Howard, I'm not that person who shrinks the lie. What was the second one? Some of us stretch the lie. Young adults, you seem to exaggerate way too much. Everything is super significant. How you doing? I'm super excited. Instagram is how you curate and control your personal brand. And yes, your future employer will look at it. So you post your best stuff on your Instagram, exaggerating things about you that aren't the whole truth. I've even heard of some youth starting what are called Fenstagram accounts, where you post under a fake name your real stuff. In my research about lying, now let's talk about men. Men embellish. We tell more self-centered lies. We lie about our accomplishments, our golf score, our salaries and status in an attempt to appear more powerful and interesting than we are. You ever talk to a guy after he's gone fishing and he caught a fish that big? How big is his fish? That, thank you. Now, guys, I'm not trying to hang us out to dry here. There's something that we just need to be honest about on how we lie. You ever flattered anybody? You see somebody you haven't seen for a while. You haven't changed a bit. And it's been 20 years and they've changed. Jesus would say it this way in Matthew chapter 5. Let what you say simply be yes or no. 
anything, what's the word? More. This comes from evil. Gossip can also add or spread what is not there. When you repeat something as true that you heard from a secondary source, now the world thinks it is true. But before you tell another person first, find out if it is true. Have you ever attributed or added motives to the words or actions of another person? A lie, a lie is a willful misrepresentation of the truth. So many people make mistakes. They miscommunicate. If their statements are problems with a fact or reasoning, don't call them a liar and gossip about it. It's an error. We make them. It's a mistake. If a person acknowledges their error, they're not a liar. Another way we stretch the truth is that we just add a fact that is just not true. You ever get a phone call or somebody calls and they're looking for you and you say, tell them I'm not here. <laughs> Lies of convenience. Matthew 12 Jesus again says this, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. And Proverbs 19.9 says, a false witness will not go unpunished. He who breathes out lies will perish. Why do we lie? We come from Adam and Eve. How do we lie? We shrink it, we stretch it, just like Eve. Is there hope? Yes. Don't tweak the truth because you belong to the honest body of Christ. Now, in the last few minutes, I don't want to lose you. We're going to look at an Old Testament passage that predicted a promise that people that are in Christ and community will stop lying. Lies had infiltrated the body of God's people, and this ancient book, Zechariah, is written by a prophet who gives witness with his words about what's really going on. The prophet spoke straight, and he says this in verse 15. Now listen in. This is so interesting. He predicts, So again I have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah, fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. You wonder... Is there a promise that truth can outdo our lies? Yes, because Jesus did arrive. Jesus arrives after this ancient prediction, and he was called the Word made flesh. Jesus, it says in 1 John, came to destroy the works of Satan, who's the father of lies. Jesus lives his entire life, and he never lies. He never speaks a false word. He never gossips. He never stretches he never makes smaller the truth, and instead of lying to gain life at the expense of others, he's going to lose his life for liars. Matthew 26, the chief priests are running around looking for false witnesses to bear witness against him, and they can't find any. But he will die because of the lies of his neighbors. Remember Satan at that tree lied, you surely will not die. Jesus on the tree tells the truth. There is a penalty for sin. He hangs naked on that tree telling the truth. Jesus on that tree, though, disrobes the truth of his heart by looking at you as a sinner and says, I know the truth about your lying. 
and I love you. I told you how I feel when someone who lies to me, when it sinks in and I feel like what was all right switches places with what's all wrong. On that cross, Christ, who was all right, switched places with us who deserved to be on that tree because we were all wrong. Ephesians chapter 4 picks up the fulfillment of that prophecy. Zephaniah said, the people, are gonna, the people of God are going to have good days that will come again. Ephesians 4.25, I'm going to go to the part where it says this. Speak, it says, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbors, for we're members of one another. You're no longer members of that old Adam. You are now members of Christ and his people. And look at this interesting comparison. There's a comparison, if you put the slide up, of the, what's called the Septuagint. The Old Testament Zephaniah was written in Greek. When you look at it in Greek, if you can't see this, let me make it simple. On the bottom, it says this in Zechariah. Speak the truth, each of you, to his neighbor. Ephesians, Paul, a different writer, way later in the future, picks up the exact same words, speak the truth, each of you, with his neighbor. It's almost exactly the same, just one different word with the word with or to. Why do I bring up that technical detail as we're ending a sermon? Because you need to know that words were promised by God on the lips of one of God's leaders, that the community that live into the truth of Christ will speak the truth to their neighbors. You're wondering, am I really going to be able to tell the truth in this community? Yes, the prophecy has come in Christ, and we are now members of one another. We are a community of honesty. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I want to end with a story about Hugh Smith, a scientist everyone called a liar. Hugh was a scientist from Washington. He studied nocturnal animals, animals that are awake during the night, right? He's going out during the nighttime. He goes to Southeast Asia as a scientist, and when it became dark, he sits silently in his canoe, and he looks at a tall tree on the shore. And all of a sudden, as he's looking on this tree, wham! This 35, 40-foot tree lit up as though it were struck by lightning. And just so you don't think I'm making this up, let me quote to you his words. The tree flashed in unison about three times in two seconds. And between the flashes, the tree was in complete darkness. When he got back to the States, nobody believed this story. Because what he saw, and here's an image of them, he discovered what are called synchronous fireflies. This is actually a picture of of the same synchronous species found in the Smoky Mountains. They're here in America. Maybe some of you have seen these. Let's relate this to us. Jesus Christ died on the dark tree because of lies, because of our lies. Right switched places with wrong. Those who are honest about their dishonesty and trust him all who trust the truth of his grace belong to him, they live with him, they are in him, 
and they belong to each other. We are an honest community in Christ. We can come out of hiding and we can pulse in unison like these synchronous fireflies to his true story. But if one of us, and I'm going to start with me, if one of us tweaks the truth, the beautiful synchronicity is shattered. Let's light up this world, Metro North, with our honesty and let's love our neighbors. Would you pray with me? God, you are 100% truth. I don't even know why you let me talk to you because I still have the flesh of that first Adam. The poison is still in my nature. And yet I know I have a new nature that is more powerful than those lies. Father, I've been watching our community become a community of honesty, and yet I sometimes go out of sync. Don't want to hurt their feelings. This might hurt if I tell it. Lord, would we, would you, would you make the promise of Zechariah happen here? You promised that we would speak the truth to one another, and we want to believe that in faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.